You're listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad by Leona Cara. Chapter 1. A Wedgie of the Soul. Come gather, come gather, friends, close by the fire, and hear of a wondrous tale. Of goblins and elves and miscoated dells, and heroes who strive to prevail. Today's story begins in the Valley of Frib, where the golden grain grows oh so high, where farmers abound round a very small town, and clouds sway low in the sky. Our hero is busy with slaying a beast, a dragon born out of pure flame. It's the fight of her dreams, it's a sight to be seen, it's a deed wholly worthy of fame. The dragon whirled above the Carpathian fields, steaming blood dripping from the gash in its leg and falling down, down, down like crimson rain upon the soldiers below. The queen's army was wrecked and disbanded in the fire-torn glade, and all souls knew that the only hero who could conquer such a formidable foe would be me, the Lady of Lamentation. The dragon let loose an ear-splitting roar and swept down for another assault. I braced myself and prepared to be enveloped by flapping wings and swirling dust once again. The beast landed with an awesome thud and instantly let loose a barrage of teeth and claws. This time, the dragon and I exchanged equal blows. I sliced its left wing to the bone and grounded. It bit my leg in response. The dragon and I both cried out in agony. The bite had rent my steel armor from its straps and left me bleeding merrily to boot. And the brief moment where we lay side by side dizzy from the blows, time swirling between the here and the not here, I was tempted to say the beast was beautiful. Its scales sparkled like the shimmering rocks of the Roran Mountains, and the intricate frills lining its back would have sown jealousy into the heart of any dressmaker. But this was no time for admiration. It was time to slay the blasted brute. Stealing myself against the pain pulsing in my leg, I hobbled to my feet and cut off one of the dragon's horns with a high sweep of my sword. The beast wrung its neck from side to side in dangerous arcs as the horn clattered to the dirt beside my feet. I picked it up, thinking it would make for an excellent drinking vessel at the feast that was sure to ensue in my honor. As the dragon groaned, I imagined the smell of roasted meat and the colors of finery all the lordly folk would be wearing. I imagined the chink of their glasses as they lifted them to toast me, and the trills of the fiddle as it played a lay in honor of my noble deed. Yes. The dragon's day had come. I approached the brute and raised my sword high in the air, and I- Your pitchfork. Sorry, what? Your pitchfork. You raised your pitchfork. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. My pitchfork. I raised my pitchfork high into the air for all the soldiers to see, its steel prongs glinting in the glowing twilight, and at the top of my lungs, I cried out- Goats. Goats? Yeah. Goats. What? No, 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 I'm about to slay a dragon. No, you're about to shovel goat poop out the stalls. Huh? Suddenly, the blazing wreckage of the Carpathian fields blurred and faded from sight, and I felt the distinct thud of a pillow landing on my face. I opened my eyes to see my older brother Jamie standing in the timber doorframe with an amused smile about his lips. Wake up, my lady of lamentation. Roost is crowing and sun's already up. No. <laughs> Come on, up we go. Uh, was I doing it again? 
is sure dead. Was it the Lady of Lamentation, or Lame-intation? It was hard to hear because of how much drool was in your mouth. I threw the pillow back at him, but he dodged it easily. Come on, Dragon Slayer. Mom's got hot porridge on the table. Oh, porridge! Oh, gosh, golly, I can't wait. I haven't had it since, oh, I don't know, every morning of my entire life. Well, then how does this sound, sis? Keep mumbling on and on about your dragon slaying, and then you can have cold porridge, huh? <sighs> it was a cold and rainy morning. A thick layer of mist rested upon the hazel thickets in the lower field, and heavy clouds cast a muted tone upon the green hills of Fribbleshire. It had been a long winter. The cows were thin, the milk was weak, and the last of the winter veg was running low. Bertram the healer had told me the rains were about ready to let up for the season, but so far the sky had given us no reason to believe him. I pulled on my woolen skirt and my favorite and only knitted sweater and stumbled into the kitchen where a small fire glowed in the hearth and where Mum ladled steaming tea into wooden cups and set them on the table. Various herbs hung from the rafters, strung up to dry for teas and medicines, and Mrs. Morris cleaned her paws on the foot of Jamie's bed up in the loft. Jamie sat in the seat nearest the fire and shoveled down spoonfuls of, you guessed it, porridge, while Mum leaned against the stone mantelpiece by the fire and sipped her tea. She smiled at me and asked, Dragons, was it this time? Yeah, yeah. It sounded wild, this one. Whole armies and everything. Did you save the day? <sighs> Not quite, I said, scowling at Jamie, who smiled up at me, feigning innocence. I sat down across from him and smelled the familiar scent of lemon balm rising from my tea. And then suddenly I felt something drip onto my head. And then again. And then again. I looked up, and a drop of water splashed straight onto my forehead. We've got another leak, Mum. I shifted my chair so the drip would fall onto the dirt floor instead of on my head, and Mum looked up at the thatch roof and sighed. Winter's nearly over. I think we can make it through without drowning. Nah, Mum. I'll fix it after the morning chores are done. Another trail of drops began falling, directly into my porridge. Please do, I said, and then dug into my cold, rainy breakfast. Jamie gulped down the last of his tea and shuffled into Pa's old oilskin coat. I'll run up the road and see if Martin can come and help. Oh, he's not going to be able to help you with that gimpy leg of his. No, Martin Smith. You're thinking of Martin Gray. Oh, aye, gimpy Gray, the butcher's boy. Mix them up somehow. He's nice, that Martin Smith. Aye, but he's strange. What do you mean, strange? Well, beside the lisp and only wearing the colour brown. He's got eyes on Elliot's here. And nothing stranger than that. Don't call me that. And he does not. Oh, he does so. Said so at the pub last night. People say a lot of things with an ale in their hand. It's not the first time he said it. It's not the first time he's had an ale. Oh, Ali. Why not give him a chance? Because I, I don't want to. Why not? He's a nice boy. And he'll have the farm once his father moves on. Though we pray the day never comes. You could have a nice turn at farmer, eh? What? Is this the, the spring cattle auction? Did I just go up for a bid? There's no harm in dreaming. You know that better than anyone. Mothers can have their share too. Besides, you could do worse for yourself than Martin Smith. I don't want someone like Martin Smith. Aye, but what if Martin Smith's the only someone who'd want you? Great. Thanks, Jamie. What? All the lads banging on the door? You're almost 18, Ali. Mum and me's got the farm and someday I'll have a wife of me own to look after. Where are you going to be? Still dreaming and drooling in that bed there? Jamie. Oh, would you look at that? 
I've got chores to do. Shucks, better go out into this mighty fine weather we're having and shovel some poop. Fun! See, that's what I mean. Why do you talk like that? You know what it's like walking around town having you for a sister. People starting to look at me funny. I rose up from my chair and headed for the door. Thanks for breakfast, Mum. Delicious as always. Ali, please. What? Your brother's being a right ass about this. But please, if you would just... How do I put this? If I would just what, Mum? Huh? If you'd just be normal for once in your life. Jamie, go out. Fine. But tell her she's being selfish, choosing to be so weird. Out. Oh, I'm leaving. Bye, Ali Odds. Mum and I stood in silence. I felt frozen, stuffed with a thousand feelings that got jammed trying to escape all at once. Mum ladled more tea into her mug and took a sip. Eventually, she said, Sorry about him, Al. He's got problems of his own to look after, and he knows it. Not one of us here has it easy. But it's, it's not fair of him to be hurting you with his anger. Am I choosing to be like this? It doesn't feel like a choice. Oh, my dear Ali. Mum walked over to me and wrapped me into the kind of a hug that only a mother can give. She traced soothing circles around my back, and I felt tears forming in my eyes. Do we choose to be who we are? I don't know, love. She let go and returned to her spot beside the fire. She raised a hand to scratch her head and looked at me over with that befuddled gaze of hers, as if the me of me wasn't there, just the husk that the rest of the world knew as Aliod's. I've never known. I held back my tears and went out the door. It was a muddy walk to the stables. The rain had slowed to a faint trickle, and the mist in the lower fields seemed to be letting up. There was still a distinct absence of birdsong in the air. I like to imagine that all the thin little wrens and robins in the county were huddled in warm nests up in the trees, wings tucked around their feathered heads, dreaming of spring and the songs to come. As I neared the cow pen and the scent of their nightly work hit my nose, I wished I could fly up into a tree and nestle alongside the birds. The cows bellowed, hungry and irascible as always. I grabbed my pitchfork, which, that day more than ever, I was distinctly aware was not a sword, and I forked soilage over to the trough. Then I went to the other side of the barn, where Grandbower the goat poked his head out of the wooden slats of his stall to say hello. <coughs> Good morning, Grandbower. <coughs> Grandbower was my most dearest friend in the world. I bent down to kiss his nose and tug on his ears, which was his favorite. He returned the gesture by gnawing on my sleeve. We all show love in different ways. I'm so happy to see you, Gran. It's been a rough morning. <coughs> Half an hour of morning still counts as morning. <coughs> Fine. I see your point. We'd often talk like this, me and Granbauer. He'd listen to whatever I had to say, making occasional comments and munching alfalfa while I bustled about and changed the bedding in the stalls. He rarely interrupted, and he was the only being in the world I felt I could be completely honest with. He never judged. He just listened. And where does Jamie come off, calling me Ellie Odds, like the rest of the bloody village? He used to beat people up for calling me that, but now... Ellie Odds. Ugh. Ugh. The tone in his voice. As if it doesn't hurt enough when they say it, he has to go and say it too? My name is Allie Fields, damn it. I'm Allie freaking stupid Fields! I kicked a milk pail beside the stall, and the noise scared Grandbauer. He bolted and ran headfirst into the wooden pen and smack, bounced right off. 
I dropped my pitchfork and went to calm him, petting the top of his head and tugging on his ears. I'm sorry, Gran. It, it's okay. It's okay. I, I didn't mean to scare you. Shh, 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 shh. But I can't stay in this field for the rest of my life. I rose again and picked up the pitchfork. I held it with two hands at the end of the handle, imagining the worn wooden edge was a glittering hilt. In a careful arc, I swept the tines to strike a blow from my left and pivoted sharply to take down an attacker from my right. I want to help people. Protect people. <laughs> exactly! I want to be a hero, like in the storybooks. I've been thinking about it, Gran. Imagine this. Five companions. One who can fight their way out of anything. One who can stealth their way out of anything. One who can talk their way out of anything. One who can think their way out of anything. And one who can make anything out of anything. I'll be the fighter, of course, so it's just a matter of finding the other four. Suddenly, the stables transformed into a forested clearing. Each wooden beam became a towering trunk with heavy foliage, and Granbauer was transformed into my trusty steed. He stamped his hooves into the dirt as a ring of greasy bandits surrounded us, wearing ragged leather jerkins and big ugly scowls. But suddenly, four strangers whose faces I couldn't make out stood beside me in an arc, facing the bandits. The bandits stepped forward, one by one, swinging clubs and rusty iron swords, aiming straight for my head and clearly seeking my end. But my friends and I deflected their blows with dexterous parries and hewed limb from limb until only one man remained. The chief. A scarred scrape across his cheek and a wolf pelt draped across his shoulders. He held a chained mace in each hand, and he stepped forward with a crooked smile. Unbeknownst to me, Jamie was watching this whole scene from behind the old oak near the barn, and he had Martin Smith with him. Honestly, she's not half bad with that thing. She's mental. I don't know. There's something kind of cute about it. Sweet Margaret's maid, you are desperate. Come on. Just as I was about to land a finishing blow across the chief's neck, Jamie's face appeared where the chief's face should have been. I paused mid-swing and felt my cheeks instantly flush red. Dragons again. Um, no. Uh, bandits, actually. Gods, you're crazy. Here, I'm going to take that before you kill someone for real. Jamie took the pitchfork out of my hands and handed me a heavy basket. Me and Martin are going to fix the roof, so you need to deliver these eggs to the baker. Ooh, I need to go into the village? Yes, but don't visit- I'm going to visit Bertram. Why? Are you sick? No, he's my friend. Ali, don't. Last thing you need is some old coot filling your head with more silly tales. They're not silly. They're real. And he's not an old coot. Goodbye. Come on, Grandbar. <laughs> oh, don't take the goat. Why not? It sounds like everyone in this town already thinks I'm a kook, so what difference does it make? I let Grandbar out of his pen and put a lead around his neck. See, I told you Martin. Duft as a daisy. Martin looked back and forth between me and Jamie, unsure of whose side to take. For the first time, I realized Jamie might have actually been telling the truth about Martin liking me. Well, daisies can still be beautiful, even when they aren't so smart. That's nice of you, Martin. Uh, thanks. I tugged on Grand Bear's lead and walked away. Come on, Grand. See, I told you, she's mental. I loved going into the village. Our cottage was a mile's walk away, and there was always work to be done at home, so we didn't really go in unless we had to. But I always loved to, because Bertram, the village healer, would tell me stories from when he lived in distant lands, and he was even teaching me how to read. 
No other girl in the village could read, and very few boys besides. So I dropped off the eggs at Barty the Baker's and rushed over to Bertram's cottage as quick as I could. It was on the far end of the village, past the inn, past the smithies, past the weavers and the water well. Granbarrow and I skipped through town, and the usual number of heads shook as we passed. Bertram, it's Allie! I can choke you, though I have no hands. I can blind you, though I have no light. I can fly above treetops, though I have no wings. Can you just let me in? No. Figure it out. Ugh, dang it. Bertram often greeted me with a riddle and refused to open the door until I got the answer. Please? No. Be glad it's not raining. <sighs> Can choke without hands, blind without light, fly without wings. Usually the answer was something abstract or metaphorical. Sometimes I got them right away. Other times I'd sit on the porch for several minutes puzzling them out. I walked back to where Granbauer was tied to a rowan tree and patted him as I thought. Chokes without hands, blinds without light, flies without wings. <sighs> I stared up at Bertram's cottage, perched on a wee little hill. It was a large circle made out of stone with a thatched roof, a true healer's home. Smoke rose gently from the chimney, climbing up, up, and up. And I could tell he was burning sage from the smell of it. Ugh, I never liked the smell of burnt sage. The smoke always seemed to get stuck in my throat and choke me. Oh! Smoke! I ran back up the steps and yelled, Smoke! The answer is smoke! Suddenly, I heard the lock unlatching and the great wooden door creaked open. Bertram stood in the doorframe, smiling. Well done, Ali. I was hoping that one would give me enough time to prepare tea, but we'll get there soon enough. Come in. Bertram was a tall, lean man from the far reaches of Atlantia, a tropical paradise from everything he described. Unlike the pasty folk of Fribbleshire, Bertram had bronze skin, brown eyes, and jet black hair, though strands of gray were beginning to wind around his beard and temples. The rumor around town went that he had once been a great wizard in some king's court, but I had never seen him use anything I would have called magic. Inside the cottage, Bertram had set out a loaf of brown bread and a dish of butter, and indeed, soon enough, he strained an herbal tea into two mugs and set them beside the bread. Lavender and lemongrass, my favorite. You're in luck, my friend. I got a delivery of herbs from Avalantia this morning, and you know what came with it. What? Bertram reached into a long sleeve of his robe and pulled out a leather-bound book. A grin spread across his face. The Tales of Galena the Great, penned by the king's scribe himself. Oh, cool. Well, that's it. When was the last time we had a new book to read, huh? No, no, I mean, that's... That's really cool. I can't wait to read it. Uh, can I see? Bertram handed me the book and raised an eyebrow. Something's wrong. Nothing's wrong. <sighs> I opened the book and glanced at the first page, which had a painting of an armored woman raising her sword against a dragon. I closed the book. It's just... Do you consider yourself odd, Bertram? Yes, of course. Really? Why do you think we get along so well? Oh. So you think I'm weird, too? Oh, come now, Allie. Everyone's weird, as absurd and strange and curious as you in their own way. I don't know. People in this village seem pretty normal to me. Well, then that's because they are hiding their weirdness. Because they are afraid of how other people would handle it. And so they pack it away. They sweep the truth of themselves beneath a rug, where no one can see it. Because 
For most people, life seems easier this way. But you don't do this. So you're saying it is a choice? Everything we do is a choice. You choose to walk around town with a goat. Why? Because he's my friend? Do you choose to come visit me, another weirdo? Why? Because I like your stories and you're nice to me and I don't know. You choose to leave this village. Why? Because there's nothing here for me and I, I don't belong here. Everyone knows that. Wait, how did you know I was thinking about leaving? Because it's time. It's painfully clear. More painful for you, I imagine, but obvious nonetheless. Wait, what? You've outgrown this place, Ali. And like you get a wedgie when your pants grow too small. You are getting a wedgie of the soul. It's time to move on. And you know this. He was right. I was ready to leave. Even though I hadn't been aware of it until then. I'd been wincing through that soul wedgie longer than I could remember. But where would I go? Anywhere. Oh, that's the place just east of somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> South, actually, but yes. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. Where I'd go. I've I've been a farmer my entire life. I've never been to a city. I, I don't even know anybody outside of Fribbleshire. Well, there is only one way to change those things. Holy hemlock! Oh, okay, this is crazy, right? I just just pack a bag and and go. More or less. Pick a direction and follow it. And then, when you come to a fork in the road, pick another one. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, I don't know. I don't know, Bertrand. This seems, uh, this seems, yeah, a little crazy. And someday you'll be lucky enough to meet other people who are just as crazy as you. The four companions, the friends and battle buddies I'd been imagining for years. Maybe they wouldn't have to be imaginary anymore. It is selfish of me, but for my part, I will miss you. I did not get to raise my own daughter. She'd be about your age now, and I can't imagine being any prouder of her than I am of you. He smiled again, in that warm, loving way I hadn't realized I'd grown so fond of. I felt tears welling up again. Well, it's not like I'm just gonna pack up and leave today. Oh, but you might. Why do you say that? Because there is an elf sitting inside the inn right now having lunch, before heading out on the road again. An elf? What? Yes. She is the one who delivered my packages this morning, and she will be heading west this afternoon. I bet if one had been dreaming about elves for their whole life and suddenly had the chance to not only meet one, but travel with one... Oh, they'd be heading out to the door right now. Yep. I jumped out of my chair and bolted for the door. An elf? A real-life elf was in my town! In Frevelshire! No one interesting ever came to Fribbleshire, let alone an elf. Oh, I nearly threw the door off its hinges as I rushed out of Bertram's cottage. And as soon as I hit the dirt road, I hauled up my skirt and ran as fast as I could towards the inn. Don't forget to say goodbye before you go. I won't. An elf. Oh, I was so excited. I thought my heart would pop out of my chest and dance a whole reel. It felt like I'd always been waiting for this moment, for, for something to come along that would pull me out of myself and launch me into the person I wanted to become. It was all happening so fast, but it was happening! I ran to the village square and leapt up the steps of the old rose and thorn. I threw open the doors and stepped inside the inn, panting and out of breath. 
I looked around the eating hall and saw Farmer Mordain and Farmer Houghton and Farmer Giles and Farmer Miles. They all eyed me over the rims of their tankards and mumbled comments under breath. I scanned the room for a face I didn't know and found it busy eating in a cozy corner by the bar. She was an elf, all right. Dark skin, long pointed ears, slanted green eyes, and fair as the storybooks told, but fair in, in a dangerous way. Like a well-hewn sword that could slice as neatly as it shone. Still panting, I approached her. She looked up from her meal as I drew close, and I saw her left hand glide instinctively towards something at her hip. I, I admit I stared at her in wonder for much longer than was appropriate, but, I mean, she was an elf. Can I help you? Uh, hi. Um, this is random, but would you, um, by any chance be, be interested in, uh, be interested in having me come with you on the road? No. The elf went back to her eating, unfazed. Oh, sorry, I, uh, I should introduce myself. My name is Allie Fields, and I live here, uh, a farmer like everyone, but I've been thinking about getting out of town, and... No. N no, uh, well, but, but I was just, I was just looking for someone to kind of help me get out on the road for the first few days, and I figured if, if you were already going somewhere, then maybe... No. But you're going somewhere, and you're an elf. The elf set down her eating knife and looked at me. Do you have any money? Uh, just a little bit, but I thought- Do you have any gear? Like, a jacket? Do you still wear diapers? What? No! Right, well, either way, I'm not a babysitter. Move on. She gave me a glare that let me know she was not kidding, and I felt myself run out of steam. I'm sorry. It's just... I've never seen an elf before, <laughs> and I got a little too excited, I think. I started to think he just existed in storybooks, <laughs> but... Here you are, just when I'm thinking about getting out of this village and seeing the world. But I'm sorry I wasted your time. I turned to leave, but then I heard, Where are you heading? Me? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere that's not here. Right. Well, if you head east, you'll go to the desert. Nomadic tribes and sand raids and all that stuff. Hostile, but nice in its own way. South? You'll get plains and valleys for at least a few more weeks, and then you hit the Great Forest. Past that's the wilds. Few people go there and back again unscathed. North, of course, you hit Bileth, or the Elfwoods, as you humans call them. And past that, tropics. Then west, you've got the grasslands for ages, in, then the mountains, and eventually the sea. West is best, in my opinion, but to each their own. So, you'll take me? No! No, no means no, mate! Keep that in your head. I deliver packages, not people. I'm just trying to help you fill in the edges of the map. Oh. At that, the elf rose from her chair, having emptied her plate, and set a silver piece down on the table. Based a luck on the ride. You'll need it. The elf gave me a slap on the shoulder, and headed for the door. I stood by the table for a moment, unsure of how to proceed, now that my ticket out of town had disappeared. I heard the farmer's voices rise again, and realized that the whole inn had grown quiet, listening to my conversation with the elf. They resumed their underbreath mumblings, and eyed me over the rims of their tankards once again, and I shuffled out of the inn. What was I gonna do? I felt like I had all this momentum to leave, but I had no idea what to do with it. I could still just pack a bag and head out all by myself. But no. I thought maybe I should just go home and let the excitement wear off. 
There'd be more poop to shovel in the morning, more fields to plow, more grains to harvest. The cycle of the seasons would pull me through another year, just as it had so many times before. It was crazy to think of leaving home. It was the only life I'd ever known. As I ambled through the village square, I suddenly became aware that I had been holding onto Bertram's leather-bound book this entire time. I'd been so excited to get to the inn, I hadn't set it down, and I'd forgotten all about it. I walked over to the village well and sat on the stone bench beside it. I let the book fall open to a random page and was greeted by a richly detailed drawing of Galena the Great, marching into battle with her two beloved companions, Mergitza and Rahl. They bore huge smiles on their faces and seemed to be fighting for each other, not for glory or renown. The picture made me feel really alone. I didn't have anyone to march into battle with. I didn't even have anyone to walk down the road with. Maybe the stories really were just stories. Me. <laughs> I turned to the sound of Grandbauer's voice and saw Bertram walking him towards me on his lead. In your haste, you forgot your friend. Oh, sorry, Gran. <laughs> I also forgot to give this back. I held out the leather-bound book. No, no. Consider it a gift for the road. I don't think there's going to be a road. Oh, no? Bertram took a seat beside me on the stone bench. No. The elf said no. She does not own the roads. No, but I don't know if I can do this all by myself. Ah, yes. It is scary to head off on your own. This may not sound comforting, but you will always be alone. I looked at him, confused by how he thought this would help. No one else in the world can get all the way inside your mind. And there will always be a piece of you that no one else can see. This is your magic spot, Ali. The core of you, from which all your power comes. It is an invisible thing, but you will know it. And when you know it, you know yourself. And therefore, you aren't actually alone. And I think you'll be surprised how many people will be drawn to this invisible magic once you know how to use it. I sat in silence, and I felt tears welling up for the third time that day. This time, I let them fall. Bertram put an arm around my shoulder and pulled me into a side hug. I felt terrified and excited and like puking and like singing. So I just cried and let the weight of what I knew I was ready to do sink in. I'll leave in the morning. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take Granbauer. <laughs> what do you say, bud? Ready for an adventure? Feeling resolved, I headed home to pack. I didn't have many things to pack, but I found a dusty old satchel the Pa had used for his market errands and put what I had inside. A wool blanket, flint and steel, a water skin, all that adventurous stuff. I was busy tucking away a bread roll when Mum came inside from the stables, fresh milk in her pail. And just what do you think you're doing? <sighs> I'm leaving. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna head west and see where the road takes me. You're joking! She smiled, but a flash of nervousness ran across her features. No, Ma, I'm not. I don't belong here. You know that as well as I do, so... I'm going to find out where I do belong. Oh, is this because of what Jamie said this morning? Yes and no. Well, you can forget it. It was a load of cod swallop. Think nothing of it. Mum, I have to go. There's nothing for me here.
no, no, you're, you're just tired. You're still upset. Why don't you just take a wee nap and, and forget this nonsense? Mum, please support me in this. What, in throwing your life away? No, thank you, madam. One death in the family was enough. Give me that. Mum reached for my satchel, but I held it away. Please, mum, I need to go. No, you don't. I am your mother, and I say no. And that's that. Give me the bag. No, give it here. Mum! Mum lunged for my wrist and jerked my arm back towards her, but I shook loose from her grip. Give me that bag! She came at me again, but I turned my back to her so that she was trying to reach around my body from behind. Though I could have fended her off, I didn't want to hurt her, and eventually I let her have the bag. She stood back a pace, her face a wrathful red, and her breath coming heavily. She looked me dead in the eyes, and then she slapped me across the face. That's what you get for being so insolent. You will not depart from our family like this. You will do your work, and you will remember your place. You will get these selfish, greedy thoughts out your head, and you will do well to remember who raised you. I raised a hand to my zinging cheek. I could never forget. I saw Mom's eyes start to glisten with tears. Now go, and don't make me remind you again. That afternoon passed by in a blur. I spent most of it walking around our property with Grandbauer, saying goodbye to the fields and the hills that had housed my whole life. I understood why Mum was upset, but I knew I had to go. I regretted that it would hurt her, and maybe it was selfish and greedy, like she said. But I kept thinking about that little spot of magic that Bertram had talked about, the part that held the me-ness of me. I knew I had to find it, and I knew I wasn't going to find it in Fribbleshire. So, at dinner, I said nothing. I was polite and passed the butter as I was told. I hugged Jamie goodnight, and he tussled my hair, saying, Sorry about earlier, sis. It's okay, I said. Mom didn't mention our altercation when she came into the sleeping room, and she kissed me on the forehead before blowing out the candle. I listened to her heavy breath grow more and more gentle as sleep took hold, and wondered if I'd ever hear the sound again. Maybe someday she'd forgive me for what I was about to do. I tossed and turned and slept but a little, nervous and excited about the day ahead. When the waning moon began to droop low in the sky, I slowly crept out of bed, careful not to rustle the straw and alert Mum. I found where she'd hidden the satchel, and repacked the few things she'd taken out, as well as Bertram's book. I sat by the glowing embers of the fire for a few minutes, gathering the last bits of warmth and courage that I was sure to get before heading out on the road. As light returned to the sky, I went out to the stables and lashed the leather lead around Grandbauer's neck and led him from his pen. Me, shh, shh, shh. Stealth, Grandbauer. Stealth. Me. Good boy. We walked through the village, past the inn, past the smithies, past the weavers and the water well, until we came to Bertram's cottage on the west side of town. There he stood, wearing a deep blue robe and holding a small bag of cloth in his hands. May I join you to the edge of town? Mm-hmm. I nodded vigorously, relieved beyond belief to have him with me for the first few steps. I felt nauseous and shaky. I don't think I'd ever walked so slow before, and it felt like my boots were made of stone. Several times, I paused and thought of turning back. But then somehow, my feet kept going forward, and soon we were at the edge of the village borders, where a thin grove of trees met the open fields. There we paused, and turned back to look at the east, where the sun was rising above the frosted hills of Fribbleshire. 
For once there was no mist, and no sign of rain clouds. The sun glittered off the fields like they were crystal plains, and home had never looked so wonderful. I told you spring was on the way. I took a deep breath and looked at Bertram. I felt like I was going to cry again. I'd never been so weepy before. He smiled at me and held out the bag he'd been carrying. Here, a few coins. You will need them and I will not. A dagger for safety. Remember, even the most alluring rose still has thorns. On bread, cheese, on meat. Because you eat more than you think you do. <laughs> Thanks, Bertram. For everything. I'll miss you. Once more the pressure of tears built up behind my eyes, and once more I could not hold them back. Bertram opened his arms for a hug, then I leapt into them. Shh, 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 shh. Oh, my dear. We will see each other again. No matter where you go, no matter what happens, you are my friend. And I love you. Me. And so does he. You'll keep an eye out for Mum and Jamie? One eye for each. Are you ready? <sighs> okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Bye, Bertram. Goodbye, Ali. For now. Come on, Gran. Granbauer and I stepped out onto the road, and for several paces I still felt shaky and nauseous. I looked back over my shoulder, and Bertram was still there, waving. I took a deep breath and picked up the pace. Soon, the rhythm of walking soothed my nerves, and I felt excited instead of anxious. Birds were chirping in the treetops, and the sun was shining in a way that it hadn't in months. The beat of my footsteps reminded me of a song my dad used to sing. It was a song his father had sung to him, and his mother before him, and so on. The tune came to my lips, and I couldn't help but sing it for all the world to hear. It started shaky, but as I sang, it filled me with a courage I didn't know I had. Fear is not my leader. Fear is not my home. I am led by love and love alone. Fear is not my leader, fear is not my home, I am led by love and love alone. I follow heart, I follow peace, I follow truth and the wisdom in me. No, there's nothing to be afraid of, no, there's nothing to be afraid of. We all carry your light, each one of us, we all carry your light. May we know our strengths, know them in this life. May we know our strengths, know them in this life. Thanks for listening to Alley Odds and the Alley Odds Squad. I'm Leona Cara. And even though I write all the scripts and do all the voices myself, this story wouldn't be possible without the help of many magical beings. Don't worry, the credits won't always be this long, but thank yous are important, so here we go. I want to thank my friend Fergal O'Connor for his song March to the Fairy Glen that I use in the opening titles. He's a talented chap, and I was lucky enough to befriend him in Ireland last year, and I highly encourage you to seek out more of his music online at fergaloconnor.com. I also wish to thank my Dwarven audio master, Lydia Randall, for her aid in recording each episode, and my song sister, Sabine, who I sing with in a group called Wild Choir in Bellingham. 
She was kind enough to share her song about fear, and I'm delighted to know that it is just the first of many healing songs that Wild Choir has given me to share with you in Alley Odds. I also want to thank the Lookout Arts Quarry for choosing me as their artist in residency for December 2018, where I was able to spend time walking in the woods and writing the first four episodes of Alley Odds. The page count amounted to the equivalent of writing a feature-length film in three weeks, which is a lot of writing, and it meant the world to have a cozy, safe home to write it all. I'd been living out of my car over the summer and then traveling, so it was nice to have a bed and warmth and a place to write. Last, I want to thank you. Yeah, you. I don't know who you are or where you're listening from, but I want to thank you for sharing your time with me. I hope that this tale has inspired you and delighted you, and that Allie can be a friend for you on whatever road lies ahead. I'll hope to see you around the fire for episode two of Friends and Foes. Mm-hmm.